Good day, everyone. This is March Twisdale, producer and host of a brand new show here on Voice of Vashon called Focus On. Let me start by asking a question. Have you ever wondered what great ideas might be hiding just next door in another culture or country? Well, if so, then this show is going to be perfect for you. Today, I will be talking with Begrun Iris, one of eight guest writers from Iceland who will be joining me on my first Focus On series. Um, and lucky for me, because I probably didn't say that quite right, Begrun <laughs> Iris goes by Becca when she travels. Yay! Um, hi, Becca, and thanks for joining me on the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Before we get started, Voice of Vashon would like to remind listeners that the views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the board, staff, underwriters, or donors of Voice of Vashon. As an organization, VOV does not take political positions. We do support our show hosts and their guests in expressing their views as long as they're not obscene or hate-mongering. Thank you for listening. You are catching me right now from the studio of Voice of Vashon, broadcast at 11 a.m. on Sundays and 5 p.m. on Fridays here in the Seattle area on 101.9 FM KVSH. If you want to share Focus On with friends who do not live in the Seattle area, they can stream it online or sign up for my podcast at marchtwisdale.com. Thank you for joining us, and now we're going to dive into the show. Becca, can you go ahead and give our listeners a sense of who you are? Okay, so my name uh, is Bergrun Iris, but you pronounce it really well. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am a 32-year-old writer and illustrator, and I live in Hapnafjörður, which is a little town close to Reykjavik, our capital. It is the town of elves, since we have a lot of elves here. In 2014, I quit my job as a journalist and started illustrating full-time, which is a scary thing to do in Iceland since it's a tiny market. So you did journalism before. That didn't come up in our pre-chat. No, it didn't. That's true. Yeah, just for a while. And it was for a gossip magazine. And then I did some freelance. Um, I still write a little bit freelance. The gossip world really wasn't uh, nourishing my soul. <laughs> yeah, so, no, you don't sound like the type of person who would find that enjoyable. No, they had just made me editor as well. And I just, I was pregnant at the time and I didn't feel like that went well together, creating life and writing gossip stories. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of, I mean, it's a small country and they're small towns. So everyone knows everything and people talk. It's, it's tough when everyone's related <laughs> to everyone anyways. And you always know people. So uh, big gossip stories will get corrected. Uh-huh. No, that makes sense. It's interesting. That's um, a common theme that's coming up in my interviews with Icelanders, the impact of the closeness of the society. And so just for my listeners out there who haven't heard one of my um, Icelandic focus on shows yet. So think for a second about Iceland and guess in your mind how many people you think might live there. And I'll tell you, it is half the size of Seattle. So Seattle has about 600,000 people or so that live, you know, there and in the surrounding areas. And um, there's about 330,000 people in the entire country of Iceland. Crazy difference. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we've got a whole bunch of um, really cool things we're going to chat about today. How about we start out? You are my first illustrator, believe it or not. 
Well, nice to be your first. And um, <laughs> you sent me pictures online, which was great. Definitely, you've got a kid theme going on there. So usually my writers have a message that they are trying to get across, even if it seems like a backdoor or an indirect message. Um, Let's talk a little bit about that. You basically write for children. I write for children and the people that read to children as well. Mm -hmm. So um, there's often a message for the adults as well, sort of. I try and sneak that in there. And I just love the idea of a grown-up sitting with a child in a book together. It's a really good quality moment that they don't get that often, I think, especially with so much technology and all the things that are changing in the world. And there's everything is so fast-paced and you don't have time for your kids and everyone's working and stuff. So just to take those 15 minutes or half an hour to sit with your child and read together is so important and really good for you. And I actually try to minimize, I try to not have that many words on the page. I want each sentence to sort of lead into a possibility of a conversation between the person reading and the person listening. So I want to create room for a dialogue. I was going to say, and you also draw for children. You, you create images. In the publishing industry here, literally it's separated. So you have a lot of um, children's authors who they write the words and then the publisher goes out and picks one of their, you know, um, they basically have certain artists that they work with and it's it's two different people. You're doing both. Um, yeah. And I've illustrated, I think, around 28 books in the total. So I illustrate for a lot of other authors in what, as well. And I don't prefer one to the other. Mm-hmm. I really like working with other people as well. I think it's good sometimes for authors not to be able to choose their artists and oh. to get a person in there. Because sometimes authors will feel they have a bit of a God complex and I'm guilty of that myself. They think they know best. So sometimes it's really healthy for us to just lay the work out on the table and see what happens with it. See what happens when an editor comes in or someone else. So, right. Okay. So you've, my goodness gracious, you've done it. You understand it from all angles. And <laughs> <I try. laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, when do you get a chance to actually work with those authors at all? Or do they literally give you sort of artistic freedom to do the imagery and you're not being hounded by the author who has their own opinion? It, it varies. It depends on who I'm working with. Um, some people like just, I never even meet them and it's just the editor giving me the script and saying, go nuts. And sometimes it's very like, I get stiff instructions from the author who is more, almost like, uh, has done like set designs, <laughs> you know, how they like write down really specific descriptions of what they want to be right. in the image. And sometimes that's good if uh, then you're just, I feel like more of a, um, how do you say it? Like a plumber or a baker or like, an, uh, you know, not an artist. I'm right. just the illustrator as a craftsperson. Right, so, right, right, yeah. yeah. It's different. And sometimes it's, it's fun, but I always add something or I, I do, I, I don't want to say I argue with people, but I do take the occasional conversation where we discuss, is it better from this angle? Should we maybe not do this? And if they ask me to illustrate something that has already been described in the text, 
like if the text says she was wearing a red sweater and I'm supposed to show it in the picture, I make them take it out of the text because I don't want to say the same thing twice. And I think it's just rude mm-hmm. because it's rude to your uh, readers. They're not idiots. You don't have to say the same thing twice. And see, this is like, this is so cool because most people go to their library, their bookstore, whatever. You grab a book, it's got pretty pictures and you're like, oh, this is cool. You know, I like the storyline, whatever. Um, but there's always these layers and layers of people behind the scenes who who created mm-hmm. that. And there's all these things that we're not aware of what's going on back there. And some uh, kids, especially, they have a special talent. We have an Icelandic word for it called mintleise. It's like they are literate uh, with pictures. I don't know if you can have a special word for that. Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, photo literate might come to mind. Yeah, they can read images. And oh. as we get older, we are pushed more and more towards texts and words. And we stop reading pictures as much. So that's how we become so dull to like, we don't uh, always criticize advertisements and other things that we see, Mm -hmm. but kids are like really good at this. So you need to be aware when you're writing for children, uh, you can say so much without actually saying it. Or they're going to immediately get it if something's sort of off or weird. Wow. You know, that's actually, that makes all the sense on planet earth. That's just brilliant. And we're actually going back to that now with teenagers and young people now using emojis so much. And they're Mm -hmm. going back to – it's like hieroglyphs and the old way of doing things. I think um, our young people will be more um, picture literate than us older (laughs) creatures. (laughs) Well, and we did get to a point now where it's easier to create those images. Like I can understand – for me, I'm very, very, very visual – um, so like I wrote a, a screenplay and, you know, in my head was exactly what was going on on the stage, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not um, a visual artist. You know, I'd be drawing stick figures. So I could see myself being that that author who's like, okay, so I really think this is happening and that's happening. Here's my picture of stick figures and that's roughly where the cloud would be, you know. I, and then I'd be like, please save me because you can make it look good. <laughs> A lot of people just, yeah, they think in images and it's a good quality to have. But when you have some authors that uh, are very like fond of words, it's hard to shake that away, like to get them to let go of their words and cut down and edit out what's not necessary. It's a struggle, but it's a fun struggle. Thank you for sharing some of those um, illustrator viewpoint ideas. Mm-hmm. So let's see, you've got um, two kids. Seven and two, right? Two boys? Yeah. Two boys. So you're right in the heart of parenting the kids, um, preschool, going into school. I'm assuming there may be some homeschooling in Iceland or is there not? No, honestly, I don't know anyone who does it. And we have, it's like in the law, you have to go to school okay. until you're at a certain age and that age keeps going up. Interesting. So, mm-hmm. And in Iceland, most kids go to kindergarten as well. So... Uh, I know in other countries, sometimes they stay home until they're like six and start school or how old is they may be. Right. But in Iceland, most kids go to kindergarten at two, two oh, to three. That's what we call preschool in the U.S. Yeah, or, yeah, 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 preschool. I'm not sure with the terms or everything. But so kids don't stay home that much um, after the age of two, two and a half. Unless a family wanted to keep them home until they went into school. Yeah, but that's very rare. So like um, preschool, I'd say, is um, 
well, I don't know, it depends on where you are. But um, if you're like in a working class neighborhood, preschool or hanging out with grandma might be the norm because the parents are all going to work early in the morning. But preschool, like where I live here on Vashon, there's only a few preschools. So when I moved here, all the preschools were full and they had waiting lists that were like three years long. And they basically mm-hmm. said, your kid's three this is never going to happen. The the list, the waiting list is too long. And I was like, oh, okay. So it was completely not an option, but it mm-hmm. didn't matter because you can tell it's like most people therefore aren't doing it. So you just go to parks or the beach or whatever, and there's just people with kids wandering around. That wouldn't happen that much here because everyone's at, at the preschool. Is so if school... you're staying with your child, you're going to have to have like five, four or five kids. So your kid has someone to play with. Right, 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 right. Is, um, is your school year round or do you guys get summer break? There's a month about, yeah, three, four, four weeks or some, so that they have break. But it's mm-hmm. like, it's considered a, a right here in Iceland for your child to go to preschool from the age of two, two and a half. And they go every day of the week, seven to eight hours. They, it's like people demand that the each town provides this for them. Consequences of everyone working so much. Mm-hmm. And do you um, is it uh, do you have to pay for it or is it paid for out of taxes? Uh, both. Uh, it's paid down by the taxes, and then we pay a little bit ourselves. And there's a discount once you have more than one kid in the school system. And then before uh, preschool, there's something called like Thaumama or day mother or it's, it's like a daycare thing. Right. And that's from age six months and up. Wow. Okay. So in Iceland, when your baby is six months old, let's say you decide, what's maternity leave like? How long do people take off when the baby's born? Um Mothers get three months, dads get three months, and then they get three months together that they can share or split down or do whatever they want with. So it's nine months in the total. And it's thought of as nine months that the child gets, you know, their parents. And then maybe people aren't like ready to have their kid taken care of by someone else outside the family. So a lot of people... Uh, long, uh, make the paternity or maternity leave longer mm-hmm. and just uh, drop the percentage of the money that they get. Okay. So basically, you know, here you are, your, your mom and dad, you're married, you're living in Iceland and you got a baby on the way. And you know that when the baby's born, if you wanted, the two of you could, there's options, but as an example, the two of you could both take three months off of work and you would continue to get the same income that you were getting beforehand, and your job is not at risk of being um, given to someone else. You're not at risk of being fired, and you could literally take three months together to bond, hang out with baby, whatnot, and then um, that's that's norm. Yeah, you get eighty percent. Not it's not your normal wage. You get eighty percent of your normal wage, mm-hmm. and um, most people because you need um, you need to somehow bridge the gap between the kid being born and going to preschool most people don't take the three months together they take like mom maybe they take two weeks together in the beginning then mom takes six months alone and then the dad takes three months at the end of it right or or they split it so yeah i mean we think that this is too little by Uh the way you think it should be at least a year and there are some countries in europe that are, are up around a year aren't they Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
a bunch of countries. Yeah. Wow. Well, of course, in the U.S., I don't think the government guarantees you any type of um, uh, leave. The government maybe protects you a little bit from getting fired if you choose to take time off of work or whatever. So my husband, who works for um, a big corporation that has actually pretty good benefits, you know, in a lot of ways. So we would be considered having really good benefits compared to most Americans. And Mm -hmm. um, if I remember correctly, I think that maybe he got a week or two, something like that. Maybe it was two weeks because I remember he took two weeks off when my second son was born so that he could take our first son out and about every day and take care of this, this, you know, three-year-old terror, you know, (laughs) while I'm recuperating with the baby. And, and then after two weeks, he went right back to work and my dad came to visit for a week. So I could have three weeks to get myself settled before I was responsible for two kids on my own. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. I think we need to stop thinking about this as like the rights of, people that uh, in regards to their work or whatever just think about it as what is right for the child the child doesn't choose what where their parents work they should get time with their parents um regardless so right yeah and then at six months if you do choose to put your baby into the that care up until two and a half those two years, that's paid for by the government. So that's mom has to go back to work. She, it's free to put child into child care. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. There's like waiting lists and all that, but it's a good system. It's usually like one person taking care of five children. They call it day mother. Sometimes it's men too. Um, it's way like there's not enough and they need, um, we need more preschools for younger kids. Mm-hmm. And that's because so many people are feeling that they need two um, full-time incomes in order to make it. Yeah, right now in Iceland, you definitely need two full-time incomes. Right. Well, and that's the other thing, that the big question for a lot of moms. In, see, so in, in Iceland, it sounds like um, if mom says, I want to go back to work when the baby's six months old, that's like a pretty much a an all positive on the economic level, at least, because uh, the day mother is is covered cost wise. Mm-hmm. And now mom gets to go bring her income back to the family. Okay. In the U.S., there's no day mother paid for by yeah. anyone else except you. So many moms sit there and they're, this is the horrible thing. They'll look at, I'm going to make, let's say $2,000 a month, but I'm going to spend, you know, $1,500 a month on the childcare. So I'm working a full-time job and I'm only making $500 a month because so much is going out to the childcare. Yeah, because you're missing out on such a beautiful time with your child as well. So, I mean, it's not easy. It's not easy taking your nine-month-old and putting them in daycare with someone and then going to work. Right. It's not necessarily the good, like the better choice, but I don't think it should be a question of moms moms either at home or out. It's a responsibility for both parents. So, right. I mean, it's not just about the moms. No, I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, no, not at all. I'm just, I was just talking about the moms because, you know, they're the ones that are nursing. So like you're saying, if, you know, yeah, if that's if, moms tend to take the full six months here, right. Even three months are meant to be shared or split either way. Yeah. Because they need, I mean, they say in Iceland, you should breastfeed your child until six months at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're kind of stuck <laughs> anyways. 
it's such a good reminder to realize that um, not just that everyone's facing the same questions, but that really when it comes down to it, I would say the vast majority of people would come up with actually a similar answer, which would be whatever we're doing, we need to try to shift it, improve it, and fix it so that kids get more time with mom and dad and that yeah. there's not so much pressure. Not so much pressure and just more options. If you want to stay at home with your child until they're whatever age, you should be able to make that choice for you and your child. And if you want to go back to work when they are six or seven months, that should be an option too. Yeah, because some moms really don't want to be at home with the baby all the time. They like their career. Mm-hmm. They love what they're doing. They want yeah. to get back to, to that part of their life too. Yeah, definitely. So let's let's go ahead and we're going to stop for a second. I'm going to remind folks of who they're listening to, and then we're going to come back to the weather. All righty. So let's see. If you are all just joining us, my name is March Twisdale. I'm producer and host of this new show on Voice of Ashon called Focus On. And today I'm having a great time talking with Bergrun Iris, who goes by Becca when traveling, which makes it much easier for me. <laughs> and before we return to the interview, I'd like to give a shout out to some of our sponsors here at Voice of Ashon. Support for this program is provided by Leif Rasmussen of Vashon Dental, who operates a family practice providing dental care in a relaxed environment and committed to providing personalized care and treatment for every individual's unique needs. Located across from the Vashon Center for the Arts at 19715 Vashon Highway Southwest. KVSH program support also comes from Puget Sound Cooperative Credit Union, PSCCU. Where serving the financial needs of our neighbors is a not-for-profit manner, improving housing stock, lowering energy usage, and putting a lot of contractors to work is how PSCCU practices community and cooperation Vashon style. So I, I got to say, I love living on this island where so many people come together to create so many incredible opportunities. Voice of Vashon is one example of that. And let's see. So we're going to dive into weather. And just to sort of frame this here in Washington State, we have had more rain, if I understand correctly, than ever before recorded. And so that's probably about 115 or 20 years of weather records. And um, well, I don't know about all of you listening out there, but I have an impression that this has affected people on one hand, people sort of say, oh, why should the weather bother you? On the other hand, it's exactly what your planet is doing around you. So how could it not, you know, affect you? What is the theme that you have pulled into your illustrated children's work around weather? Well, Icelanders are actually kind of obsessed with weather. We talk about it a lot because it changes every minute. And there's this like joke in Iceland. If you don't like the weather, just wait a minute because it literally changes. You can have four seasons in one day. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a very a good topic just to break the ice. We always talk about it, but we don't really like go into it that deep. And we just talk about weather being either good or bad. And I wanted to make books for children that sort of, uh, took that, uh, the good and bad, and just made a, a different 
like a platform for a different conversation with your child about the weather and to introduce them to all the wonderful weather words we have in Icelandic because Icelandic is very rich of strange and, and beautiful words describing especially the wind because there's it's not just windy. We have so many different Icelandic words for the wind based on how it behaves and how strong it is, the wind. And that was the name of my first um, my first book, My Friend the Wind. You know, um, what's really cool about that is, um, well, like the same thing happens in Hawaii. You know, they say they're the same saying, you know, if you don't like the weather, wait 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so islands, I think, especially with all the um, the updrafts and everything, you know, anyone who's lived along the coast or especially on an island understands that there's a lot going on. There, yeah, definitely. yeah. What I love, oh, thank you so much for saying that about the the judgments of good and bad. I, I don't know about the folks listening out there, but it drives me crazy when a newscaster comes on the radio, TV, whatever, and they say, "Oh, it's going to be you know just an awful day, folks. We've got rain," <laughs> or you know, "Hey, That's it's going to be a great day. It's great. sunny." Yeah. You know, not everyone likes the sun, you know. <laughs> right. And and it's not just that. It's like on one hand, they're I don't know why they are attached to convincing us on a regular basis that water coming from the sky is bad and yeah. no water is good. And especially as a person coming from California where it rarely rained, I actually really like rain. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's good for nature. I mean, it's good for the flowers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not. It's not great for you as a human adult. Kids love rain. I mean, they just want to put on their boots and go out and jump in puddles. And we need to sometimes just try to nurture our inner child and do that with them. And that is just brilliant for us to, to that you thank you for noticing that. So you're trying to shift the conversation in your books from sort of an adult perspective, judgmental mm-hmm. frame to what? What exactly are you trying to bring to your readers? Well, in those two weather books, the first two books, that was definitely it. Just seeing the world, not even like from a child's point of view, that there's a cat in every picture uh-huh. <laughs> that is just uh, going through all these different stages of wind and weather and and the second book was, it's about the Icelandic summer. And we like barely have a summer here compared to other countries. So our summer is, um, some people just laugh at it, that I even made a book about the Icelandic summer. But right. there's so much <laughs> to see. I mean, we have migrating birds that come here. We have the midnight sun. The sun doesn't set all night. And that's really interesting. And kids can learn a lot about summer. Summer doesn't have to hold hands hand-in-hand with sunshine freckles, you know. It can be so many other things. Um, Trying to get parents or whoever is reading to talk to their child about, you know, and both books end with a sentence, how was the weather today? And once they start talking about the weather, they might start to open up about other things as well. Maybe they were lonely during school or maybe they saw something or experienced something weird that they've been shy to talk about or something. So I think that as an icebreaker comes in at the end of both books. How was the weather today? And of course, the kitty cat. They get to yeah. watch the kitty cat going through all these different types of, of weather. That's that's a real nice way of realizing that you also can go through all these different types of weather. Yeah, and the cat is never mentioned in the story. So that's another 
uh, like I was saying, showing things in images that is not talked about in the text. It's just good for your brain. Yeah. It's good for kids to experience that and, and learn that there are layers and there are other stories. There are other things going on than what is most obvious. And, and they can sort of put themselves in the shoes of a cat. Yeah, exactly. You know, those are always the best books when there is, oh man, there is nothing better than sitting there with my kids. And I actually didn't sit down to read to my kids a ton. I'm a pretty much go, go, go type of personality. So a lot of times we are physically moving, but the books that we did read that, which I'm saving so that they can read books from their own childhood to their kids. I think that's huge. The best books were the ones that would have like, um, you know, the little cricket and the little spider and, um, on every single page. That comes from, oh, everyone out there in the world who's read a childhood book from the 70s is going to know this character. It's this cute little hedgehoggy-looking kid. Anyways, but there's a little spider and a little cricket. And, you know, so every time you flip the page, you know, your little kid is just instantly scanning for where's the cricket and spider on this page. And I love that type of um, engagement, but they're never mentioned. You know, I love that engagement. It's really good for them. And then my third book uh, was called Will You Be My Friend? And there I'm sort of speaking directly to whoever's reading because Iceland uh, – well, another theme in my books is none of the characters are gendered. They're all gender neutral. So oh. uh, it's not like a female cat or a male cat or it's just whatever the reader wants right. the characters to be. And uh, it's really tricky in Icelandic because the Icelandic language is very gendered. So um, in the third book that was about a bunny that is trying to make friends, I speak directly to the person reading it. And it just starts with, if you've ever been lonely, you probably know how bunny feels most days. And it goes into the story about the bunny. And the bunny is, um, it, it doesn't have any friends. And it sees other animals playing like the bears are playing on the swing and the squirrels are playing and the bunny's always alone. And on the third page, it, there's a picture of the bunny reading a book and it says being alone isn't always a bad thing. And then it turns to the bunny being on a seesaw, <laughs> like not moving. And it says some days it's no fun at all. Different situations, how sometimes being alone is really good for you, but sometimes it's kind of not so great. And then what can you do about it? And I think we need to, if you want to, if you want your child to be independent and be able to take care of themselves, you need to um, not baby them very much and not always blame other kids. If your child doesn't have friends, it's not necessarily that the other kids are being mean. You need to give your child the tools to be able to make friends. And so the bunny in the book starts to look for friends in other places and starts to build a bridge uh, across the creek. And as the bunny is building the bridge, other animals come and help the bunny build the bridge. And once the bridge is ready, the bunny realizes she's not going to have to cross it after all because her friends were already there. So it's a bit about just asking you Maybe you should look around more. Like if everyone is being, if everything is really awful and like just take a second and reevaluate and look, maybe there's a really nice friend right next to you and you just haven't asked them to play with you. You know, I think the importance of um, 
of symbol. Like I love, I can just imagine, like I'm very visual. <laughs> so <laughs> as soon as you mentioned um, earlier on about how, you know, you turn the page and then the bunny is sitting on the seesaw, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Instantly, this huge cacophony of message, idea, and concept. What's cool about children's books like this, the way you are intentionally creating it, is um, rather than the words having to lecture or inform, the kids are going to be figuring it out. Oh, look, you know, the, oh, look, he's getting friends or she's getting friends, you know, making the bridge. Like they're mm -hmm. seeing that happen. I think when you see something happen like that and you're drawing your conclusion yourself from what you're witnessing, mm -hmm. that hits your heart. That, that affects you in a creative heart space, whereas if it's words just telling you what you should and shouldn't do or, or lecturing you, that only goes in the head. And I don't think things stick as well in the human head as they do in the human heart. That is so true, especially when it's your parent um, preaching. You know, it doesn't yeah. – kids become sort of <laughs> – they learn to filter out those things. So you need – pictures sometimes or um, experiences mm -hmm. to really, really stick with them. And then you can ask them, like, if they're in that situation sometime, like, are you feeling like the bunny felt? Because it's easier to talk about the bunny than yourself. Yes. So the yeah, empathy piece for the child to be able to feel empathy for the bunny is yeah. practice at feeling empathy for themselves or their human friends in the real world. I made this book only uh, like a few weeks after talking to my son who was at the time, he was three years old and he told me, mom, I don't have any friends. And this is like the worst thing you can hear as a parent. It's devastating. But I knew he wasn't being like, I knew he wasn't right because he had had a lot of friends and he just, he couldn't, he knew their names, but he was like, no, I don't have friends. And I made him sit down and he was only three, but I made him sit down and draw pictures of him. I was like, okay, let's just see. Um, there's Benjamin and he drew Benjamin and then he drew another one and another one. And he filled the page with pictures of his friends, like little stick figures. Right. So every time he felt lo lonely, I could point to the picture and he was right. like, oh yeah, that's right. There's all of them. Just wow. to be able to see it is very powerful. Well, what's interesting is where would he get that idea at the age of three? That seems like a pretty young age yeah. to actually verbalize the concept of, I don't have any friends in it. It makes you wonder. He was three and a half and he was just saying, nobody wants to play with me. I don't have friends. I don't know where it comes from. Maybe right. older kids or. There's obviously like a conversation happening in the child community around this. Basically, yeah. it's a form of wealth. You know, your friends are. Um, yeah. <laughs> really important. Yeah. Really important. Yeah. Oh, I and, love that. So and, you were inspired yeah. to write this book by um, uh, experience with your son. Yeah, definitely. And maybe because he wasn't, it was in his head. There were all these friends around him that he wasn't seeing. And so I put the bunny in the situation where the bunny's feeling left out and sort of feeling sorry for itself mm -hmm. a lot. Instead of just joining in on the uh, the squirrels with the soccer ball, you know, just join because he was feeling sorry for himself and he wanted maybe a little bit of pity. And this is very common. Not just kids. Adults do this all the time too. Right. <laughs> no, no, really. No, no. It never happens in the adult world. <laughs> 
So sometimes just suck it up and go play with the kids and make them your friends. Sounds really harsh, but it's the truth. Yeah, I don't know if that sounds harsh. Yeah, that's and you found a way to turn it into basically this awesome story. So, so your books are available in Icelandic language, and also they were translated into Chinese. Yeah, that is really surreal and fun. <laughs> I'm not actually China. surprised when when I think of sort of the eventually I'll be hitting up Asia. Um, the first year of focus on is Iceland. Netherlands and Denmark. And then year two, I'm either going to Asia or South America. I'm not sure. It's exciting. But China, I wouldn't, I mean, there's, there's, um, there's huge need in China for children to be able to feel, um, heard and yeah. So, wow. I think that's super cool that your book is over there. And I really hope that, um, it gets put into the right places where it can capture people's attention. I think you have some good messages to share here. I'm really excited about it. And I hope other languages soon too as well. But we'll see. Um, I get that the weather books are very specifically Icelandic. And it's, mm-hmm. it's they're not like easily translatable. But I have other books as well that uh, maybe have a bigger market later on. And my latest book that I wrote in, I wrote it actually in Prague during like a writer's residency. I I spent six weeks in Prague in November and December. And that book, I think, has a strong message that could be really good for people. But you don't want it to be like too preachy, of course. Right. No, of course not. But I'm I'm super nervous about it. It's the first time I write like a proper book with more text than images because I've always been illustrator first, writer second. Right. So doing something new and scary, but I tried to do that as often as possible. I'm actually writing a children's play as well. That is like, I've never written a play before. So that's exciting. Oh, that will so. be fun. So this book though, that you wrote in Prague, uh, what age group is it oriented towards? Like five to eight year olds, but I'm, I'm not really... Uh, yeah, I think it's for early, like beginning, beginner. How do you say it? Like re- beginning. Early readers. Early readers. Thank you. That might be the term. Uh, early readers, and but not like kids that are just starting to read. Either either kids that can like handle longer longer books being read to them, or kids that are starting to read themselves. And we. Um, we're having this problem in Iceland that I think the rest of the world is having that kids aren't reading as much as they used to. Right. Just with all the gadgets and things that they are getting into. And the book is about a girl starting school and she's like really, really excited to start school. And she's been picturing it in her head, like how amazing it's going to be. And she's going to learn how to read and write. And she's very smart for her age and really excited about the whole thing. But when she gets there, it's like way bigger than she thought it was going to be. And there are girls there that she thinks are laughing at her and she's feeling sort of not as great as she thought it was, it was mm-hmm. going to be. And she's feeling a little vulnerable and in walks uh, a 96 year old man into her classroom and sits down next to her. And it turns out he's actually her classmate because he's stuck in the first grade because he has refused to learn how to read since the age of six. So that, so that's hilarious. 
Yeah, so he's this grumpy old man who doesn't want to do anything, doesn't want to learn anything, but he he shows up every day and just sits there being grumpy with like old timey uh, lunchbox and <laughs> and they become friends because she doesn't have anyone else. And yeah, so they become friends and and they make a contract later on in the book that because she starts to realize that once she goes on to second grade He's not going to go with her because he's not going to learn how to read. Right. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. And she starts getting worried about that. But he wants her to make friends with the kids because he knows he's 96. He's not going to live forever. So Mm -hmm. he makes a contract with her that for every classmate that she talks to, for every new friend that she makes, she can teach him two letters. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, now, that's in Icelandic right now. Is there any chance it'll be translated into English? Not unless you want to translate it. I don't know. Maybe one day. <laughs> is it, what is it like um, to get a book translated into English? Is it actually like challenging, hard, or expensive? Uh, it should never be expensive for the author himself. It should always be like the publishers should take care of that. So, But getting a publishing deal... Um, in another country, that was my chair, by the way. That's fine. Um, yeah, is is difficult, of course, but I have an agent in Berlin who works internationally, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Maybe one day, Icelandic writers are doing great, and uh, especially kids, uh, children books writers in Iceland are amazing. They are uh, being pu- published in so many languages around the world, mm-hmm. and. So we really are a a nation of books and writers here. Right, exactly. Yeah, um, I would love it. Like, I live on an island as well, right, Vashon? And I think it'd be so cool if, I think it's pronounced um, Jólabókaflun? Yeah, (laughs) Jólabókaflun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the flood of books. I I love the whole history behind that. And um, I want to, like, import that holiday to my island. (laughs) I think it's great. Um, for folks out there who don't know, um, uh, that hol- if I understand correctly, that holiday came about roughly after or during World War II when um, it was really hard to get any material goods in and out of Iceland. And um, people had books, though, on their own shelves and whatnot. And so at Christmas, the idea was maybe you can't, like, you know, buy some new neat gift for a friend or whatever because, you know, trade was shut down. But you could get books off your own shelf and share it with another person. That's that's what I've been told is sort of the origin of the holiday. I've never heard that. That's beautiful. Yeah. So um, for for me, when I hear Yola Boca Flow, the flood of books, I just think about this is like our harvesting time. Like for people who work in books, this is when Icelanders buy books. It's at Christmas. Right. And it's not a really good thing in Iceland. We need – I wish people would buy books all year round, but they – don't enough so it's like Christmas is the big season for books but I I do this with my mom though Um, we started uh, trying to buy less and living more like minimalistic lives and right I so I go to the library pick a book for her and wrap it up and give it to her at Christmas and then she just returns it to the library (laughs) trying to do like eco-friendly Christmas presents I think what's fascinating too in Iceland is um how many people are published. What what percentage of the population has written and published a book? It's like one in ten. It's crazy. Yeah. Everyone 
writes a book and then everyone is related to someone who works for a publisher. So a lot of people get published. Not everything is great, but it's great that we have such easy access to um, publishers and actually being able, I mean, it's an island, so it's not a given thing that we can publish all these books and have so many publishers and writers, but just for Icelanders to be this confident and uh, creative to sit down and think, okay, I have a story to tell and I'm not just going to write it for myself. I'm going to write it and I'm going to make 2000 copies of it and sell it. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. There's, um, so one of the things I found interesting is, and I've, I really started to stumble upon this back in, um, my teenage years and my early twenties. Um, you know, Americans are very hung up on, um, experts and professionals. So if you ask most Americans, just ask everyone in the country, right? You know, do you, are you willing to sing in public? Most of them, their eyes will get very big and they'll say no. Um, you know, I don't have a good enough voice. I'll sing in the shower is a real common thing people would joke about. But I have friends that are from Spain, for example, and, um, and they didn't understand why no one was singing in America because they said, well, in Spain, if you're in a car with five or six people and you're driving somewhere for half an hour, y'all just start singing songs. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, well, yeah, but what if your voice is horrible? And they're like, what do you mean? How can your voice be horrible? Like it didn't, they didn't even understand the concept. And then the same thing was true with dancing. I taught ballroom dancing professionally for five years. And basically people felt like, you know, you really, you don't dance unless you've gone off and learned how to do it, you know? And, and, and so I think what I like about the people in Iceland feeling confident to write books is it's the same thing. People in America in general will say, oh, gosh, I'm not good enough to write a book. You know, um, authors are these special people who are somehow extra skilled, different, or unusual. So there's there's all these layers of, um, in, in a strange way, sort of insecurity in this culture. And mm-hmm. I, I love other cultures I've run into where people are like, well, yeah, sure, of course I can do that. Try it at least. I mean, you never know unless you go for it and see what happens. It's like with a play that I'm about to write. I've never done it before, and I'm trying not to question myself. But I just, I got, um, I know Hilter was telling you about uh, our salaries, our artist salaries. Right. That we have here. Yeah. It's a government um, funding. You uh, you apply and you tell them what you're going to do and then you get three months or six months or a year or even two years salaries to do that thing. And I've applied once for a book and I got three months and then I applied last year for a children's play and it was just like, I want to do it and I'll see what happens. And then once they say, okay, we're, we're giving you three months to do this, you have to do it. Mm-hmm. And then it's yeah, it's a really good thing for you to t- sort of follow through on what you've been planning to do. We're almost to the end of the show, but I'm going to remind people what they're listening to. <laughs> so folks, if you're just joining us, my name's March Twisdale. I'm producer and host of Focus On, and I've been chatting for the past hour with Bergrun Iris. She is one of my eight Icelandic authors that I am interviewing for this Icelandic series of Focus On. 
And before we return to the interview, I would like to give a shout out to some of the folks on the island that make Voice of Vashon possible. Support for this program comes from Island Escrow, Vashon's only independent escrow company, providing comprehensive service for all types of real estate transactions since 1979. You can call Island Escrow at 206-463-3137. Also, we have on this island a Northwest School of Animal Massage. Support for this program comes from NWSAM, which has something for every animal lover. Workshops, professional courses, and blended learning options, allowing flexibility as students learn large and small animal massage for professional certification or to take special care of beloved pets. You can get more information at nwsam.com. I want to remind all of my listeners, you guys can go to my website, marchtwisdale.com, and you can catch previous shows that you've missed. You can either get them via podcast, um, or you can just click on the the face of the author, and it'll throw you over to the Voice of Vashon page that actually hosts the show as well. So one of the things that we talked about in my last show with Johannes was that your language, if I understand correctly, has basically not really evolved very much in the past 1,000 years. Yes, um, Icelandic is very similar to Old Norse, or is basically Old Norse, um, which was the language of the Vikings. And this is the language that Danes and Swedes and Norwegians and Icelanders and all of us used to use to communicate. Since then, Swedish has become Swedish and Danish has become Danish. And now they are slowly adopting a lot of English words or German words and not even changing them. So their languages are thinning out. Right. While because we live in an island, it's been quite easy to keep, because of the isolation, to keep our language very much the same as it used to be. We can read old, very old scripts. Right. And it just like makes sense to you. Easily, they can't. And then I go to Sweden and I can read Swedish sort of because they're everything has sort of evolved from the old Norse but they could never understand my language yeah but I told them I I just came home from the north part of Sweden Mm -hmm. Lapland in Sweden and I was visiting 20 something schools one week just talking to Swedish kids about Iceland and Icelandic language and writing and stuff oh that sounds so much fun it was amazing. I took my seven-year-old with me, which was like perfect. Yeah. He went on a little journey and he helped me with my uh, lectures. Mm-hmm. So I was telling the kids that when something new is created, invented, or discovered, Icelanders always make up a new word for it in Icelandic. Uh, in oh. Denmark, they say computer, just with a Danish accent. And in Sweden, they say helicopter. But we make our own Icelandic words for these things. And computer in Iceland, in Icelandic, is tölva. And it's derived from the word völva, uh-huh. which is an oracle. And the T stands sort of for technology. So it's like a technical oracle. So it has meaning to it as well. Wow. Now, is that um, culturally just it happens naturally? Or is there like an intentionality behind that? No, it's very intentional. We have a committee and <laughs> it's a whole thing. They, they need to find an Icelandic word for everything. Sometimes they stick and sometimes they don't. We've been trying to get spjaltkalva to stick for iPad, mm-hmm. but a lot of kids just say iPad. Mm-hmm. Uh, a helicopter in Icelandic is thirtla, 
And it's, it has to do with the sound that the helicopter spades make when they're swirling. So thirtla is Icelandic for helicopter. So I asked the kids in Sweden like what they thought was better. And they really, really like this Icelandic way of doing it because you hold on to your language a lot longer. And especially when it's only 330-something thousand people, you need to really fight for it really like protected in a way. Right. I know. Um, So when I went to Denmark last year in Denmark, believe it or not, which is so weird given the problems we're sort of having with population on the planet, they actually had come out with a make more Danish babies thing. Yeah. (laughs) And and so I, it it had started about um, six to nine months before I got there last year in June. And so last summer, sure enough, the midwives were overwhelmed and there was like, you know, 75% more pregnancies than normal. And the purpose of it was that there's, quote, only 5.9 million people in the world who speak Danish and we want to make sure that we preserve our culture and so we need more babies. And that's 5.9 million and you guys are like 340,000 and you're like, ah. As a person who lived in Denmark, I don't think it's the population that's a problem. It's the fact that they are so close to other countries and Honestly, they're not being protective enough of their language. They need to make up their own Danish words for new things and not just take the German or English words and use them with the Danish accents. That's right. the big thing. <laughs> so like, what does America do? I don't know. Um, I don't. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I guess, well, the thing is that we really have already a melting pot language. So there's not like yeah. a massive originality to yeah, yeah. English. We're basically everyone else combined already. Yeah, and you so. probably have a lot of Spanish words with just that have been adopted and adapted, I guess. Well, yeah, sure, right, tortilla, you know. Yeah, <laughs> Burrito, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I don't think there's a lot of fear of, because we don't have something to start off with that's worth preserving, but you guys have something that's deeply... But you do, though. You do have a lot of beautiful, long, complicated words that aren't used in everyday conversations and a lot of people don't understand. Like just watching a spelling bee contest, I don't understand half of the words. It's true. Because it's in my vocabulary. So you do have a big vocabulary. That's true. That is being tapped into on a regular basis, probably. You know, since we've been talking about kids and reading, it, I'll just throw out there and then we're going to really run out of time, is um, one of the things I find fascinating is that they even try to teach pronunciation or um, in, in this language. I don't even know why they try, because every single word out there is going to break all the rules more often than it's going to follow them. Like, for example, um, how do you pronounce the vowel letter O in our language? If you put a T in front of it, it's two. If you put a mm-hmm. G in front of it, it's go. You know, and there's there's all these different examples. And, and the problem is you can't come up with the rule because everything's broken more often than it's followed. But this is why we need to read really like all the time for our kids because this is when the rules and exceptions to rules really just get stuck in your head and just become a, a part of you. You just know your language as you know riding a bike. You don't have to think what is this supposed to be. It's just in your head because you read, you know, this book when you were a kid. And that was exactly my point. It's like they made this exhausting hard effort thing happen. Whereas mm-hmm. because I'd been reading since I was five, like I had already figured out how to pronounce all the words just by reading 
And then they want to teach me all these rules for something that I already knew. But if you weren't a reader and then you're presented with all these rules, which make language a drudgery and a misery, why would that inspire someone to actually want to start reading at that point? Because now it's just this challenge. So I think that the fun and the play of childhood reading can be so instrumental in the knowledge absorption of that child. This is a big discussion in Iceland as well, because the the tests they do when they're teaching kids how to read are very focused on how fast they can read, how many like vowels or words per minute, which is ridiculous because you don't, you're not really grasping the text. It doesn't matter how fast you read, you need to enjoy reading. So I think we need just let go of the tests a little bit and give our kids more books in their shelves. You know, it's, <laughs> it's it's ignoring the the uniqueness of each individual. Exactly. So true. Okay, so we have a lot of long, complicated words. I'll tell you one that is kind of funny. Okay. Funny sounding. It's urhetlir. Um, Say that again. Urhetlir. Urhetlir. How did you do that? You you do the double L really well. And that just means when it's like pouring down rain. <laughs> that, that there's a total word that has that sound to it that basically means you know being dumped on by water. <laughs> yeah, this means the same thing. It's just it means pouring something out of a bucket, really. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that's uh, one Icelandic weather word. Where we live here in the Pacific Northwest, the native people I think had a uh, hundred or so words for rain. Wow. Cause That's it's like all... we do snow, but not a hundred or so. That's a lot. Yeah. So you have like a rain book. Yes. There's actually people who have, <laughs> um, have written out like all the words and yes, the, the, the native, I think it's well over a hundred and, wow. um, because rain is, you know, just defines life here. Yeah. It's amazing. Yay. It really has an impact on people. I think where they live, how the weather and the climate is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just look at the difference between the temperament of people in England compared to the temperament of people in southern Spain. It's so true. Right. I, I've been around and I've been to, like, I've found my neighbors in uh, Russia, just walking around in Russia, everyone's sort of looking down at the ground and not smiling. And that's perfect for, like, Icelanders love that. We're just <laughs> on our way from A to B. We're not bothering anyone. But I was traveling with two girls from California, and they felt so uncomfortable because I thought everyone was being rude. But it's just a completely different state of mind, you know. Right, right. And it makes so much sense. So much. Wow. Okay, well, so we are we are officially out of time. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Becca, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much. It was really nice chatting with you.